Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode will focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Back, Kyle, with part two of our best Disney duos bracket. How do you feel about going into this Elite Eight? Yeah, last week was a fun one. And I think that in order to really narrow down and crown our final duo winner, we had to bring back our co-host, Daphne. Daphne, how's it going? Hey, guys. Glad to be back. Yeah, I am, I'm stoked to have you because uh, I think that you had some great insight on the duos last time. And you really instill that 90s nostalgia that we are just itching to earn. So, uh here we go with another another bracket and see how far Timon and Pumbaa will make it through. And you stop. Uh, you stop that right now. <laughs> All right. So we're back again, which means that we have yet another spoonful of sugar. Chris, last time you came with a gin and juice concoction sponsored by CVS. What you got this okay. time? Okay. All right. So thank you because last time you kind of like gave me a little subtle dig there for not supporting my local brewery during the coronavirus pandemic. That wasn't my intention. Okay. Well, that's how I felt. So I went and I went into my fridge and I got me a Blue Point Brewing Co. Pinstripe Pilsner. My favorite New York beer. It's local brewery. All right. So you cannot say anything about my CVS obsession. I also can't really talk a whole lot because... I don't know that we can really qualify Lagunitas as a super small business. They're a pretty prominent brand <laughs> in general. Um, but this week, small I enough. did go small. I did go small this week. And uh, I have an IPA from the original Pattern Brewing that's here in Oakland. And it's a Uncommon Matter IPA. Pretty tasty. Um, I don't know when anyone could ever try it if you're not in Oakland, especially under these circumstances. But if you come to Oakland and you hit me up, then we out. We go into original pattern and I'll show you this in common IPA because it is delicious. Daphne, new week, new spoonful of sugar. What you got? So I still went to my local brewery less than a quarter mile from my house. But last time I had their white point lager. Now I'm, I'm drinking one of their blonde ales because, again, it's a hot and crisp sunny day in charleston and i need something refreshing god that sounds so nice all right well kyle before we get into the bracket let's do a little bit of uh, banter here last week you and i were both present at a q a that was sponsored by the walt disney family museum uh this was something i didn't know about like i knew about the museum but they've been hosting zoom q a's since the museum's been shut down, and so they hosted one with Don Hahn, who is a Disney producer that's worked on the live-action Beauty and the Beast, worked on Maleficent, um, and he also has a lot of experience in animation, like he worked on Beauty and the Beast. More recently, he's been doing a lot of the live nature stuff, and um, I actually hopped on one with Butch Hartman the other night, too. 
Uh, so I'm absolutely loving these things. So let's talk about uh, some of the stuff we learned with Don Hahn. What were some some takeaways you got from that that Q and A? Yeah, it's so the Walt Disney Family Museum is here in San Francisco, and if anyone ever comes to the Bay and you want to do something Disney, I guess two things: Children's Fairyland in Oakland is a place that Walt himself visited to in his research for Disneyland. And that's here in Oakland. And it's a small kids amusement park. Um, I don't necessarily recommend that you like go and do the attractions because it's literally all meant for small children. But like there's credits, going, man. There's credits there though. There are. So like walk around. Like it's a beautiful place. It's right by Lake Merritt here in Oakland and it's awesome. Number two, go to the Walt Disney Family Museum. It's in San Francisco in the Presidio which essentially is just an old naval base um, that all of the barracks have been renovated to do something else. And one of the barracks is the museum right by the Golden Gate Bridge. It's beautiful. Um, so they used to host these kind of like live Q&As with all these people. So Don Hahn would be at the museum and you would go to a theater and watch and, and have a Q&A. But since they shut down, as you brought up, they've been doing it virtually, which is awesome because people like you, Chris, who's on the East Coast can also register and get an invite for it. So if anybody's interested in doing this, you should go to the Walt Disney Family Museum website. There's a calendar and whenever they announce a new uh, session, you can register for free. It's all for free. Um, but they also encourage donations, which I also get behind. It's awesome. Great museum. So Something I learned, I didn't realize that Don Hahn got involved with Disney and worked on the Roger Rabbit film, Who Framed Roger yep. Rabbit. And I yep. loved that movie. And I love that soundtrack. And I love everything about it. So that was awesome. And it was super cool to be, even if we were virtual, no one could see us because it was a webinar. So it was really just like a moderated Q&A that we were able to just watch. Um, it was awesome to be there to listen and then we could also submit questions i will point out that none of none of our questions got chosen to be asked but people don't want to answer our questions no they we, we only care shot. about we, we only care about trolling the panelists and they see right through that my question i tried to bait him into talking about the haunted mansion live action movie with eddie murphy which he worked on and they, they did not take they did not take on that one no they didn't um my question was about Howard Ashman, who is part of the Alan Menken, Howard Ashman duo fitting for this episode, who wrote many of the Renaissance movies that really brought Disney back from the depths. So they worked on Little Mermaid, they worked on Beauty and the Beast, they worked on Aladdin. And so like all of those stories and those songs came from this duo. It's, they were essentially the modern day Sherman brothers. So my question was, what was it like to work with Howard Ashman? And they didn't get to answer that. But what we did find out, which is the biggest takeaway for me, was that Don Hahn was producing and directing a Howard Ashman documentary. And Howard Ashman was, like I just said, a songwriter uh, and, and a Broadway talent in the 80s and 90s. But he was also one of the real spearheading leaders of the HIV and AIDS research movement because Howard died of AIDS uh, shortly after Beauty and the Beast. And so it's, he's an important figure, not only in 
Disney history, but also really in human history. And so I'm super excited to see this documentary. And he kind of hinted that it sounds like it's going to be on Disney Plus. So we're going to be able to watch it soon, I hope. So that was the biggest takeaway for me that he kind of let us in on. And also just his mentality about story and how much story matters, and especially in animation. And you see that in Beauty and the Beast and you see that in Aladdin, Little Mermaid and all of these projects that he's had a hand in. So it was just super cool to be on the inside like that. But what's something that you took away? First of all, I really enjoyed the forum itself, um, being on Zoom and being able to chat with other participants in the room. Like while the seminar was going on, you could respond to things he was saying and kind of have like side conversations. At one point, someone started talking about like animation and I just was like, how like could you recommend any books or anything for someone looking to get into animation? And I got all these recommendations for like intro to drawing and animation books and stuff uh, written by, um, you know, some OG Disney animators. So I thought that was pretty cool. One thing that really stuck with me was actually something I, I really disagreed with him about. Um, he worked on a lot of those, like you said, like kind of like Renaissance, new golden age Disney movies. He also was on the front lines during kind of like those post-Renaissance movies, your Home on the Ranges, your Atlantises, uh, your Treasure Planets. And he said something about the creative process. He said, whenever we're making a movie, we start with the things that you know no one's going to take out. You start with the things you know no one's going to change. Um, and those are like your bones that you have to work with. And he's like, and so we start with the action sequences because we know no one's going to take those out. And I was like, eh, <laughs> eh. I'm not so sure that like every great Disney movie begins and ends with a great action sequence. There are Disney movies with good action sequences in them, but, um, you know, I just really think that it's much more effective to start at the character level. And that is an idea that was affirmed in the Butch Hartman Q&A that I did afterwards. Uh, Butch Hartman was creator of Fairly Odd Parents, Danny Phantom. He also worked on Johnny Bravo. He's doing his own uh, series now on YouTube. A very, very talented guy. And he was talking much more about character. He's like, if you ever want to pitch a show, you go in with one image. Don't go in with some like elaborate explanation about like what you want the show to be and the things you want to happen. Go in with an image with your main characters, describe your main characters well. And then like your audience, the people you're pitching to will like the gears will start turning for them from there. Uh, so, uh, I, I much more agreed with all of the stuff Butch Hartman was saying about animation and the storytelling process. Uh, all the respect goes to Don Hahn though. Very talented guy, very important guy, much smarter than me. But, um, yeah, it, it was interesting. It was interesting hearing a lot of his takes. All right. So if you're interested and want to hop on one of these zoom calls, go to waltdisney.org. They have a calendar there. You can check it all out. Um, coming up this current week, May 11th, they have a director's talk with Gary Trousdale and Kirk Wise. Um, at the time of this recording, it's still 
available for registration. So go ahead and hop in there and register. These directors worked on Beauty and the Beast, Hunchback of Notre Dame, and Atlantis. So it's a lot of uh, the same stuff that Don Hahn talked about. So hop in there. The museum also does virtual classes uh, in design for comics and animation. So if that interests you, just hit. It's a great resource, great way to get a Disney fix while the parks are closed. So head on over there. But Chris, I think it is time. We've talked enough. Let's hop into the best duos bracket. We are in the Elite Eight. Daphne, in the week that has passed, have you been able to do any research on our Elite Eight? And are you ready to uh, to rock and roll here? Let's do it to it. Okay, so let's start us off here. The first matchup, we've got the number one seed, Woody and Buzz, versus the number nine seed, Vanellope and Ralph. Uh, both of these duos had pretty easy first round matchup so we didn't talk a whole lot about them so let's uh, take the time to do that now we'll start with the Vanellope and Ralph because we hardly touched on them at all last episode so um something I liked about Mike and Sully was that they had both different objectives and that is definitely present here with Ralph and Vanellope Ralph just wants some recognition you know he's this villain that's getting thrown into the dump off of a building every single day and he wants to be the hero for once he wants to get the medal and he wants people to love him and on the other hand you've got Vanellope who is a misfit who has no friends whatsoever but she has this self-confidence that is just so so charming and you know she's really just looking for someone to help her enter this race and, you know, become a part of the gang, basically. You have two characters that are both seeking affection, validation, approval, a sense of belonging. The thing that's interesting is that both of these characters find that where that approval is coming from is not the place that they thought it was going to be. You know, Ralph thinks that having this medal and being considered this hero on the exterior level is so important. He gets that hero's medal from King Candy when he sells out Vanellope, and then he goes back to his game, and, like, no one cares. Like, there's that guy in the penthouse, and he's like, I'm a hero now, and the guy's like, have fun, see ya. Like, no one cares, you're a jerk. Um, and, you know, Vanellope wants to have these friends in the game. She wants to be a racer. And she does achieve that goal, but she doesn't do it by overcoming her glitchiness, you know, like suppressing it to the point where, like, it's not affecting her. She le- she learns to lean into her glitchiness. And she does that because she knows how much Ralph cares about her. Even though she is a glitch, Ralph cares. And if he can care, anyone should care. So she's able to kind of like, not be like, don't glitch, don't glitch, don't glitch. Just be like, dude, I'm gonna glitch on purpose. I'm gonna glitch all over all of you fools. And I love that kind of like internal realization that Fenelope has in this movie. Uh, We've talked about how like low moments in a relationship is super, super important. It's great to see a duo being tested, their loyalty to each other tested. 
And man, people talk all the time about how that intro scene and up is like the saddest thing in a Disney movie. It's like, oh, Ellie died is so sad. But dude, Ralph smashing Vanellope's car, that is sad. That like, (laughs) oh my God. Like my heart every time it's like, dude, this is so bad. Like this little girl has spent her entire life like working towards this one car and you just like smashed it. And we and we and this was my problem with the with Ralph as a hero is that like he makes this dumb decision that, you know, the audience knows is wrong. So it's hard to sympathize with him after he does that. But it it certainly makes the relationship more interesting. Uh, it makes it more complicated. And uh, it really shows Vanellope's true colors when she is able to accept him after he comes back. And he's like, I'm sorry I did that. And, you know, she's just kind of like, uh, like, okay, like, I understand. Like, she she really gets the big picture in this situation. And she's able to to take him back. And she's able to see that he's genuine. I really like that about Vanellope. And about the relationship. Okay, so we'll go back to Woody and Buzz. The number one seed, I mean, again, one that we compare a lot of these duos to. You guys both brought up a point last episode about how this is about saving saving toys. Uh, but I really think that the more interesting thing here is how these two toys make each other better. And you see that at the end of Toy Story 1 when they're in Sid's house. You know, Buzz is like drunk on tea or something and he's sitting around the table. He's like, you see that? I'm Mrs. Nesbitt. Like, he, he just tried to fly out the window. I will go sailing no more plays. He hits the ground. Super sad. Um, and he like has that moment where he realizes like I am a toy like Woody's right he's right and I'm not who I thought I was so like whatever Buzz snaps out of it they go to try to stop the moving truck and they strap the rocket to Buzz and he flies up in the air um, and there's that iconic shot of them flying in the air there's the parallel where at the beginning of the movie Woody's like that's not flying it's falling with style and then at the end Woody's like you're flying Buzz and he's like it's not flying it's falling with style so it's just like there's this lesson where you know you can have confidence in yourself but you also need to be a realist about what you really are and what you can do And you can be realistic about things, but you also need to have a little bit of dream inside of you. And so, like, that's where these two characters meet in the middle in the end of this movie. And, I, you know, I absolutely love it. Like, Buzz is still that confident action hero guy. But, you know, he's got a little bit of a reality check. You see in the Christmas scene when they're talking through the walkie-talkie, like his helmet's down. He's you know, fallen back to earth, no pun intended. Uh, And Woody is much more confident, you know, in his relationship with the other toys, in his relationship with Andy. He's like, you know, it's all right. You know, I'm going to share Andy with everyone else. And, you know, I'm not going to be so worried all the time. This other toy buzz has taught me to, you know, just like value the, the tiny moments and have confidence in myself. 
So we have some, so this is a really tough matchup for me, man. I'm going to, I think I'm going to pass it to you before I say anything, because I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. Wow. Wow. This is a, a first on Mouse Madness is an argument before a decision. Um, it's also tough for me because I think that both of these duos, while Woody and Buzz are arguably the most iconic friends in possibly cinema history, um, there are some issues and it's a lot of it is also stemming from like my problems with joy and sadness is like in the first movie, Woody is so resistant to change that he's actually like rude about it and actually like tries to yeah. get Buzz like killed and yeah. you know, like it's, there's a lot of, I get that they, the journey brings them together, which a lot, I mean, talk about, the, when I you brought this up last episode that I texted you like all of these duos are the same and it's because like all of them meet each other in these unlikely circumstances and then have to go through this journey this physical journey of getting back home or of accomplishing a task that brings them together so it's not something to fault Woody and Buzz for that their friendship is solidified as they go through this journey. Cause literally all of these fools journeys solidify their friendships, but his like his, just the malice nature of Woody and toy story is so off putting just as like a character point because he can be like uptight and he can be, worried about his image but he doesn't i don't think he needs to go the extra step of like hating buzz as much as he did um vanellope and ralph is also interesting because it's very much like ratatouille for me where ralph is using vanellope and vanellope is using ralph and so that friendship is not really a friendship until the very end of the movie when ralph realizes that king candy has been scheming the entire time you see their friendship a little bit more in ralph breaks the internet and how they've stuck together and they're going in the internet and they're trying to accomplish this task together but vanellope finds that her true happiness is within racing games and specifically that like grand theft auto-esque game that she finds herself in and then you see Ralph being a big baby <laughs> and like jealous about Penelope being happy somewhere else. And that also starts to break like, well, how good of friends are they if Ralph can't be happy for Penelope in this situation? And that was also an issue I had. But they redeem each other and redeem that kind of broken friendship by showing at the end that they still remain best friends and they video chat much like we all have to video chat now. So like they, they work through their stuff and buzz lets Woody go at the end of toy story four, right? It's the same. It's these matchups are so similar now. Chris, I think here I'm moving Ralph and Vanellope on oh. <laughs> because, <laughs> because, Look at Toy Story 2. Look at, look at the entire Toy Story franchise and how often Woody's willing to just like abandon friends 
and just yes. like do what he wants to do. Oh, yes. yes. I agree. Like, <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> so, like, Woody in Toy Story 2 gets toy napped. The gang tries to rescue him. And then Woody sees that, like, he's actually a sought after collectible, which makes sense to his personality because all he wants to do is be the very best, the best leader, the best toy, whatever. So he was willing to hop on a plane to Tokyo if it weren't for Stinky Pete's, like, scheme to come to light. Like, he's willing to abandon his friends. And he, like, makes that very obviously known when the, when the other toys come to rescue him. And he's like, I can be in a museum. We're going to Tokyo. Like, this is what I want to do. Toy Story 4. He's like, Buzz, listen, man. Remember that girl that I had in Toy Story? Well, she no. back, no. and I love her, and I'm leaving with her. Buzz is just like, there's nothing, soldier, there's nothing else I can do. Like, Woody, Woody's very selfish and doesn't really care about Buzz. What happened to boys before toys? Seriously. <laughs> boys before toys, baby. Boys before toys. On the other side, there's a lot of turmoil between ralph and vanellope but you see at the end like that friendship absolutely never dies and they make sure of it and they make sure that they're forever connected and that they're going to be this duo so i think that here like like i said ralph and vanellope are moving on past buzz and woody i want some chaos at the top of this episode you know my like the thing for me is you've got a friend in me is such a good song and like these (laughs) are such i mean this is a close matchup that's what I'm going with. I think are you I think you've got a friend in me. It's such a good song and I think it's one of the only friendships that has a song attached to it. So I think that I think that's worth something to me. So I'm going with Woody and Buzz. So this one's going to Daphne. All right. So last week I talked about at a glance, yeah, we got some really good duos here. And then as I got further into the bracket, um, some of the duos that I thought would make it further actually did not. And this is where Woody and Buzz is not moving on for me. As oh much my as I goodness. know, I know as much as I love them, right? But the thing is, for, for the second round, I didn't look um, into character development as much as I thought about, all right, what's their end goal and what was disney trying to say during during this movie and i think vanelope uh wreck it ralph vanelope and ralph their message which is bigger than toy story like what you said self-acceptance and then i i thought their overall goal was much bigger than toy story wow wow down goes (laughs) frazier oh my goodness all right let's get to the next matchup we are talking number 13, Marlon and Dory, versus number five, Lilo and Stitch. Oh, this is tough. Baby. It's not tough. It's not tough at all. It's not, huh? Because I nope. think it's super tough. I think. Okay. Bring it on, baby. <laughs> bring it on. Yeah, I am. I will bring it on, okay? <laughs> I think that part of this duo thing is the importance of it can come from the most unlikely places. And I think that Lilo and Stitch, obviously, I mean, that's the, that's the most like hit you over the head example of that, right? 
quite literally an alien from some other planet befriending somebody from Earth and accepting an acceptance happening from both angles. Like, that's fantastic. That's such a great message. Marlon and Dory are very much the same, right? It's it's accepting each other's differences and not excluding them because of that. And like and, and Dory's is a very like real life example, right? Short-term memory loss is an actual thing that humans also have. While Lilo and Stitch coming from a different planet is not necessarily an experience that we all have on a day-to-day basis. So it's it's very much it's like hits you over the head with accepting differences in this concrete way, alien and human becoming friends while also like, here's like a personality thing. Like people, people's personalities and and who they are are different. And that's Marlon and Dory. Chris, I think that in this matchup, I'm going with the journeyers. Marlon and Dory are moving on here for me. And it's because not only the relatability of like, personalities can clash but that also makes the friendship as a whole better and while marlon felt that his cautiousness should be the way that not only he lives but everyone should take into light but also like you cannot allow past things to affect future relationships and that's in relationships in the romantic sense that's relationships in the friend sense that's in any experience like the you can't always allow this negative experience to impact how you form friendships in the future so i think that's a super positive message and i think that the growth that you see that change is possible and that these friends can help each other for the better dory can start remembering more things when she's with those that she loves Marlon can start loosening up when he learns to trust is super important. Lilo and Stitch, they're great friends. They're a great duo, but not great enough to move past this powerhouse. So Marlon Dory moving on for me. You almost gave me a heart attack. Um, Lilo and Stitch, I think are pretty terrible. And here's why. I think that the plot is telling me these two are a perfect match for each other because Lilo is a loner. She doesn't have any friends. The other girls in the Luau class, the cool girls don't like her because she's weird. And Stitch literally has no family because he was created in a lab. So you have these two loners. That must mean that they're perfect for each other. Island of Misfit Toys type deal. I get that, but there is no emotional connection whatsoever, in my opinion. Like, there's never that moment where you go, oh my gosh, these two are perfect for each other. Like, these two complete each other. When the movie's trying to establish their connection, all they really do is throw it into a montage. The weirdest montage ever, by the way. It's like... The sister Nani trying to get a job mixed with like Stitch loving Elvis music. Very, very strange. 
Um, and then, you know, there's the Hawaiian roller coaster ride montage where Stitch learns that he loves surfing. Um, there's really not a strong why for, for that connection that Lilo and Stitch make with each other. You know, like we were talking about that, you know, Marlin and Dory complete each other they have flaws and the other fish's strengths make up the other fish's flaws and like lilo and stitch there's just not that they bond over these things but like you know i would have loved to seen some little flashback scene or something where like stitch is being created in the lab and like there's some elvis on the radio and so it reminds him of home or something like that you know i like like these are these are connections that make sense because they're motivated by characterization there's just none of that in lilo and stitch on top of the fact that they don't really do anything you know marlon and dory are on this quest across the ocean and they complete it because they put their fins together lilo and stitch they just like i don't know don't get taken by cobra bubbles at the end it's I don't know. I, I think really weak. I think number five seed is way too high for Lilo and Stitch. I think Marlon and Dory are criminally underseeded at 13. So um, I got the upset here, but it's not an upset in my opinion. Daphne, what do you think about that? All right. So I thought this was going to be a tough decision for both of yous because now that I know that you guys are heartless. So Lilo and Stitch, <laughs> Lilo and Stitch I thought it was going to be tough because of the whole, like, hey, you know, family is about grafting. It's, it's about your bond and being there for each other. But um, I, I was actually going to go with Marlon and Dory eventually, too, because of what you, what you guys said. They, they have a common goal, and they're... Their development is shown through their journey. Also, Chris, you brought up that there's no like emotional tie with uh, Lilo and Stitch. Um, I know Nina's listening to this podcast right now. Oh, baby. She, she cries during Hawaiian roller coaster ride. So it's such a good song. <laughs> no, it, it is a good song. I'm not disputing that. It is an incredible song. I love that sequence. I love that song, but like it's missing something for me. Yep. Yeah. I agree. I, I agree. So I guess let's hop over to the other side of the bracket where we've got number two, Anna and Elsa versus number 10, Moana and Maui. Now on the surface, this looks like a heavyweight matchup. Uh-oh. This is like the 2010s all-star game here. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about it a little bit more because um, as I did my research for this, I found problems with both of these duos. Uh, so I'm interested to see where I end up on this myself. <laughs> let's talk Same about, here. I guess let's talk about Anna and Elsa first. Uh, last episode, we talked about how they have a really unique connection. You know, not a whole lot of sibling duos exist in the Disney universe. Um, they're great and that they're very different in the same way that like Woody and Buzz are different. Elsa is very, very cold and standoffish. She's dealing with these personal demons and Anna is very naive. She's very eager. She gets way too deep into things 
And so both sisters must accept each other for the people that they are. Unfortunately, in Frozen, I don't believe that we get to see them operate as a duo. We get to learn a lot of really important themes about acceptance and about partnership and accepting other people. But when we're talking about best Disney duos, we're talking about teams that get stuff done together, not individually, together. And there just isn't a whole lot of Anna and Elsa together in the first Frozen movie for me to really feel good about them as a duo. So that takes us to Frozen 2, okay? So they set off together to discover the secrets of their parents' death. So they start forging towards Ahotalan, if that's how you say it, don't know. Uh, you know, they get to the boat. The parents' boat has been shipwrecked and they find this like waterproof canister and they find a map inside of it. And at that moment, Anna puts Elsa in a little frozen canoe and just like, whoop, just ships her down the river. Like, like, peace. Peace out, Anna. <laughs> and that's just, it was frustrating for me to see that because you're denied seeing these two sisters combine their powers together. And it's especially interesting for me to see this because you have one sister who has this spiritual you know superhuman power and this sister who is like the most human of all humans in all of her flaws and like seeing them together try to tackle an obstacle would be so so interesting but we are denied that in frozen 2 anna must pick herself up by her bootstraps she sings the next right thing and she's able to like break the dam down on her own. Now I understand that Frozen 2 isn't trying to make comments on friendship or teamwork. It's trying to make comments on identity and like finding your inner strength and being at peace with who you are and not needing exterior validation from anyone. And I love I I love Frozen 2 for that reason, but if we're talking best Disney duos, we just don't get what I'm looking for in this bracket. So uh, until we get an entire movie where Anna and Elsa are together the whole time, kicking butt, taking on the world, I have a problem with them as a duo. So let's go over to Moana and Maui. It's like, it's terrible because Moana and Maui do everything I wish Anna and Elsa did. They do take on the world. They learn to... Um, accept each other's shortcomings. They fill in the gaps where the other one's weak. But, like, there's not a whole lot of emotional connection between them. It's a problem I had with Moana in the hero bracket, and it's a problem I had with Moana the movie in the best Disney bracket. This is a tale of epic proportions. They're going across the ocean to save Matanui, to save the world. But, uh, for some reason, I just find very, very, very little humanity in the movie. I mean, I've seen it countless times, and for some reason, it just feels like um, like a song or like an epic song a, a storyteller would sing, and like you're, you know, interested in the visuals and the music, but you know, you don't really get the need 
Moana has for Maui or the need Maui has for Moana. Uh, and I mean, maybe there's a smaller scene that I'm not m remembering or something. Maybe you can speak to that. I'm left with asking myself, what's more important? A duo who gets stuff done or a duo who teaches me more important lessons about humanity? I think for me, humanity always trumps plot and action for me. So I'm going with Anna and Elsa for this matchup. I'll let you rebuttal though. Yeah, I think that the emotional connection that you missed in Moana is when Maui explains why he's this like demigod selfish like into himself person and it's when he explains how he got his first tattoo and that first tattoo came because his parents rejected him and so like that's why he feels like he's on his own and like he doesn't want to feel that rejection again and he pushes everyone away is because he was rejected by his parents. So the lesson that comes with the Moana and Maui situation is one, you don't need to meet everyone's expectations. Moana doesn't need to be the princess of her people. She doesn't need to rule in the same stereotypical way that they think she should be ruling and Maui and people in general don't need to set their expect don't need to adhere to the expectations set to them not only by their parents by others they don't need to find self-worth in what others think about them and that's that's I think an incredibly important lesson for everyone to learn as you watch the movie Moana it's these two it's one who feels like she's a misfit, but she's actually very privileged. And it's the other who's also very privileged and gifted, but also feels like a misfit. Everyone goes through, no matter what culture, no matter what social rank, they go through these kind of trials and tribulations. I think that's super important. I think that Maui and Moana's epic journey together, you see the duo forming. While Anna and Elsa, they're sisters, so immediately they're going to be connected in that way. But as you brought up, you don't see a whole, like, honestly, when I saw this uh, bracket come out from our demographic there, I was surprised that, like, Anna and Kristoff weren't a duo. Sure, they're romantically connected, but the entire first movie of Frozen is their journey right so like there's a lot that goes down with them that makes them a more convincing duo than Anna and Elsa and then you see it a little bit more in the second movie but even then they're pretty separated so here it's 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 tough for me but I think that Moana and Maui's journey together and their formation of friendship is a little bit more important and strong than the familiar bond between Elsa and Anna and the fact that their entire first movie is not them as a duo. It's really them kind of separated. So Chris, I'm going Moana and Maui. That means that we are going to Daphne. So I was also for this round looking for that humanity message with Disney. And I know that's what you were looking to. Um, that's what you were looking for too, Chris, but 
I found that with Moana and Maui instead of Anna and Elsa. And and I think they had what, like what you said, they had what you were looking for. They were together the whole time during that movie. Wow. <laughs> sorry, I'm not sorry, man. <laughs> Down goes Frozen. Down goes my girls. It's all right. I'm not. I'm not too upset about that one because I I acknowledge the flaws in both yeah. of them. There. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that it discounts Anna and Elsa at all. I just I in this matchup, it just didn't make sense to me. Which means we're moving on to Timon and Pumbaa, the number three seed versus Timothy and Dumbo, the number eleven seed. This this just gets harder and harder, Chris, because. Obviously, I was a big proponent of Timon and Pumbaa, and I'm obviously a big proponent of Timothy and Dumbo. Just don't forget the fact that they got drunk together. <laughs> this is this is unparalleled for any Disney movie. This is like Cat Poop and Mr. Whiskers. Like you have to at some point acknowledge when a Disney movie goes a direction that no other Disney movie has the courage to do. And this Disney movie went so far as to give two best friends the opportunity to get drunk together. I mean, caps off to Dumbo for that. So here's, we've, I think, a line and a theme that just came to light last round is this theme of humanity and how highly we regard that in these duos, right? We want our duos to be doing the right thing. We want them to show selflessness towards each other. That's partially why Woody and Buzz went down so early in the second round. So it's it's something that we've been speaking upon, but we haven't necessarily brought to light until the last round. So I think humanity plays a big part in it. In this matchup here, you get a couple of different lessons. In The Lion King, you get the lesson that Akuna Matata is a great way to live, but it's extremely unrealistic. Just because your world is carefree doesn't mean the world that surrounds you is also carefree. And you see that, and Timon and Pumbaa are exposed to that, and I think in them fighting alongside like the lions, while you don't get the scene of like the light bulb being like, we can't just remain these carefree people. We need to be proactive. Their actions serve that. With Timothy and Dumbo, it's a friendship that's formed based on Timothy just wanting to do the right thing. He's very much a, a Sully character, and he just wants to always instill righteousness in everyone. He wants to make sure that Dumbo isn't feeling like Dumbo's worthless. He he wants to protect Dumbo from the world's evils, which are these bullies, the clowns, even the crows at the very end uh, when they're essentially making fun of Dumbo in his ears and claiming that he can't fly. So this matchup gets, you can get pretty deep within them. But for me, Chris, it's the Timothy and Dumbo relationship that moves on. Only because I think that Timothy, like 
we know who Dumbo is and Dumbo doesn't speak a single word. And then we know who Timothy is because he explains everything and speaks for Dumbo, right? And his selflessness and just wanting Dumbo to feel worthy and comfortable in this really not great situation of being in the circus shows that like this duo and and i mean dumbo is not out here just rejecting timothy so like it's not i don't think it's a one-way street i think that dumbo also gives to timothy what timothy wants timothy wants to be a ringleader and this is also his chance to do so in being the leader of this friendship and dumbo recognizes that and lets him take the lead so for me the the humanity and their relationship and them just wanting to find happiness together and they get drunk together they're just the better duo so i'm moving timothy and dumbo on here yeah i think the reasoning's a little sketchy still um I understand what you're saying, that Timothy wants to be a ringleader and Dumbo helps him get there. It still feels a little bit hero-sidekick relationship to me, Uh, but Timon and Pumbaa are both a sidekick-sidekick relationship to me. Uh, Yes, I agree with what you're saying about how, you know, Timon and Pumbaa learned that Hakuna Matata isn't necessarily something you want to do all the time like okay you can only feel the feeling of no worries if you have some worries to compare it to you know uh and yeah there's no light bulb scene and i really wish i had that uh so i'm going timothy and dumbo as well just uh i'm still riding that getting drunk thing but uh you know it might run out of steam next round i think this whole half of the bracket was really weak so uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Wow. All right, Daphne. We just moved on. Silent Dumbo and, and Timothy there. Thoughts? Um, I actually agree with uh, Timothy and Dumbo also because it's that classic tale of the extrovert adopts the introvert. And it does have the, that humanity factor on a, on a smaller scale. Timothy shows that the world can have joy. So I, think- I did not see these two getting to the final four. Neither did no. I. And I don't think that I really saw that extrovert introvert relationship. So that's, yeah, great insight. I love it. Okay, so let's go ahead and hop over to the other side of the bracket where we'll do our first final four matchup to decide who is going to the finals. We've got the number nine seed, Vanellope and Ralph, versus the number 13. Teen seed Marlin and Dory. Wow, guys. Um, I honestly, I, I, I'm really, really baffled here. I'm gonna try to talk my way through it because I, this is gonna be super unorganized. Uh, so, so it'll be stream of conscious. Uh, the first thing I notice about this matchup, Vanellope is one of my favorite Disney characters of all time. I am extremely biased whenever one of my favorite characters are in a bracket. So like I am very, very tempted uh, to go with Penelope. I think she is really underrated. You know, we talk about these like um, kind of like new feminist icon Disney characters like Moana and like Elsa. But no one really talks about Penelope in that way. And she is really, really just 
a strong character for anyone to look up to. Really like her a lot. Um, I don't love Ralph as much because like I was saying, he makes some more questionable decisions that make us less sympathetic to his goals and his journey. I also did point out that really, really emotional kind of like all is lost moment for Vanellope and Ralph where like their relationship is split seemingly beyond repair. No pun intended. When her car is just completely broken and uh, you really feel the gravity of the situation there. Like you really feel how deep these two have got invested in in each other. And I like that. I like that a lot. But I also do feel like they are kind of using each other to like selfishly get the goals that they want. Like their friendship is almost secondary. And something that I think is really important about Finding Nemo is that the Finding Nemo isn't really the most important part of the journey. The most important part of the journey is that Marlon and Dory find themselves while they're they're out to find Nemo. And the all is lost moment for them is when you know, they're super mad at each other in, inside the whale mouth. And Marlon's like, you keep thinking you can do these things, but you can't, Nemo. Like, he is so mad at her. And Dor- Dory stays confident, you know, which is, I mean, really interesting. She doesn't buy into that stereotypical, like, duo trope where they both get mad at each other and they go in different directions. She stays steadfast in the relationship and she stays confident in herself. And when she says, you're just going to have to trust me. Um, And it makes the movie feel less like it's milking you emotionally, which uh, I, I can appreciate because a lot of these more modern Disney movies, they're definitely guilty of that. And they, they know that people are touched by those really intense emotional moments and they kind of probably lean a little bit too hard into those. And Finding Nemo never really tries too hard in that way. Uh, Finding Nemo won the best Pixar movie bracket for a reason. Um, and I think this relationship with Marlon and Dory is a really, really strong, strong reason why that movie made it as far as it did. And I did not think Marlon and Dory would get to the finals here and I do love Vanellope but I think Marlon and Dory are just the complete package when you talk about characters needing each other characters learning from each other reaching conclusions that they set out to reach reaching conclusions that they didn't know they set out to reach Marlon and Dory are just so complete so solid I'm sending them to the finals yeah I don't have a whole lot more to add because I think I'm gonna do the same thing they're just when you're comparing these two duos, Marlon and Dory are the complete package, and it's not only in story and relationship arc, like they're what you would want to see out of two completely different friends and personalities. I think they're great. Ralph and Vanellope are like it's great, but like it's also super weird. Right, it feels like like Ralph's a grown man, and I get that they're like video game characters, so who cares? But like, it's it is an unlikely friendship, but it's also like stop it, 
but this is a weird friendship. I don't know. I just feel like we, if we move, like it's too unlikely. Is that what you're saying? Kind of, but also like is. I don't know. I just get a weird feeling about Ralph and Vanellope just representing like a best duo. I don't think that they could be crowned the best duo because I don't even like if I was in the demo that got surveyed for this, I don't know that I would even think to put them in my top 16. So like they just feel weird. I think that Dory and Marlon is the right choice here. Um, So Daphne, you're off the hook. You don't have to try and argue this one, but did you have Dory and Marlon moving on to the finals? Uh, Yes, I did just because, um, biases of my own i saw that as a kid in the theaters so it was the full package experience for me i was in vacation bible school when uh finding nemo came out and i remember all the kids coming to vbs and being like oh my god finding nemo is such a good movie and i you know i'm i I could be like hipster like anti-mainstream a lot of the time so even when i was like 10 years old i was like stupid movie i don't want to see it like everyone else thinks it's good it's probably stupid and so i saw it on dvd like four years later and i was like that was actually pretty good it's actually a pretty good movie (laughs) all right we need one more to send to the finals and it's between timothy and dumbo and moana and maui yeah this is still tough for me because moana is probably one of my favorite movies in general love the movie love the soundtrack Love the story. Love the message you get from it. Love the characters. But Timothy's willingness to do the good thing is just so admirable. It's hard to see past that. Moana seeks out Maui because she needs him to accomplish this task which saves her island. Her island is in is at the top of her mind while timothy just wants people to be great and wants the good thing to happen but you have this development of a duo in moana where they end up putting aside their wants and helping each other so moana learns that maui is actually pretty insecure And Maui learns that Moana just wants to do the right thing and help her people. So it's an interesting matchup here. But, oh my God, Chris. I think in all of this research, I have a brand new appreciation for Timothy. And that relationship between him and Dumbo and how Dumbo trusts this mouse, which elephants are afraid of, and that's shown in the movie when Timothy shows up and the other elephants run away. Yeah. So while it's a very like animalistic way of showing the character's guard being let down, like Dumbo instills trust in Timothy because Timothy is something that Dumbo should be afraid of. So I think I'm moving Timothy and Dumbo 
on to the finals past Moana and Maui. That's interesting. I mean, that mouse thing is really interesting. I had not thought about that either. Um, that's something that I think we didn't talk about with Remy and Linguini. Uh, the idea that Remy is a mouse and this is a human with a like relationship with a mouse, like there is a uh, like a commentary on like stereotyping. Well, that- they also like show in Ratatouille the relationship between like humans and rats in people associating like dirtiness with rats and the restaurant gets shut down mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the him having to hide Remy the entire time is because the association of rats and food is how things go awry, right? Yeah, and I like that Linguini is able to overlook that and in that like um breaking point of the relationship, like Linguini falls into that stereotype and like uses it against Remy and he's like, I guess you are just like a stupid filthy rat after all. And like, ooh. Uh anyways, that was two rounds ago. Um but but yeah, uh you're right. Like this elephant being friends with the mouse, uh it does matter, you know? Two animals that normally do not get along and um yeah I just don't think Timothy and Dumbo are super strong. I I, I do agree with you. Like, this is one I have new appreciation for. But it's it feels a lot like Bambi in our prince bracket, where it's like, I did not expect to love this character or this duo as much as I do. Um, but I stand by what I said about Maui and Moana and how they lack the humanity that is essential for a good Disney duo. Um, If they have it, it's too hard for me to find. And um, the action is put in the spotlight more than the relationship. And in Timothy and Dumbo, like you said, the relationship is so important. The trust that Timothy has in Dumbo the trust Dumbo has in Timothy. Timothy is an ultimate hype man. Um, I love it. I I, I think I'm going to agree with you. I think I'm going to send Timmy and Big D to the finals. Daphne, do you have any parting words for Moana and Maui? I was was rooting for them. Yeah, I mean, uh, I love Moana and Maui so much, but that matchup, man, it's so difficult. So, Chris... Look at that. We have a number 13, Marlon and Dory, versus a number 11, Timothy and Dumbo. I did not see this. I did not. I thought it was going to be 1 2, like easily. Yeah. I thought Woody and, and Buzz were going to just take this crown. It was going to be a cakewalk of a discussion. But this is tough here. This is, this is quite the emotional matchup, right? That's what I think brought these two to the finals is their emotional toll not only on the audience but just like the relatability of feeling things feeling like a misfit and and having a friend that makes you feel like you're not and that's both of them so honestly uh i i'll start i'll start with a question for you um so in finding nemo 
Marlon and Dory, we've talked about this ad nauseum throughout the bracket. They make up for each other's flaws. Uh, Marlon finds humanity in Dory. He learns to let go of his control idol. Dory finds direction and safety and a sense of belonging in Marlon. Dumbo finds confidence in Timothy. The like big moment in Dumbo is when Dumbo is falling and he doesn't have this magic feather that Timothy has told him is like the key to Dumbo flying. And Timothy's like, you don't need the feather to, to fly. And then Dumbo flies. Um, and that's kind of like the, the big climax moment of the movie. So Timothy's so important to Dumbo. What does Dumbo give to Timothy? Like, I know you said it makes him a ringleader, but like I, I'm having trouble finding the really important like character trait that Timothy takes away from Dumbo. That's a great point because as you were discussing this, I have the same thing about Dory. Because I don't think really? that Dory actually intently gives Marlin anything. I think that Marlin takes a lot away from Dory, but I don't think that Dory is actually actively giving anything to Marlin and not trying to teach Marlin anything or not trying well, to make Marlin I'll, better. I'll point to a scene um, that, that can kind of like rebut that claim. Um, when they are on their journey and there's the school of fish that's voiced, that's voiced by John Ratzenberger and Marlon doesn't want to ask for directions and Dory does. Yeah. At the end of the movie, we're at the schoolyard and Marlon is telling the joke to the other parent fish. And so you, you've seen Marlon at the beginning who doesn't want to talk to any parents, who's afraid of dropping his son off. And now you see Marlon who has become more well-adjusted by having a person close to him, by experiencing the world, by being introduced to other fish out there. That's what I think Marlon takes away from Dory. Yeah, but I, like, I just don't think that there's a, a give from Dory's end. I think there's a take... Uh, yeah you don't think that dory takes a lot from marlin i don't no. think so i like i can i understand that i understand that there's not a whole lot on the surface for us to um really see and and like you know that comment i made about the just keep swimming where like dory needs direction to be truly effective i i will admit that is a total read between the lines for me um, that is me just like injecting my own experience into there. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, the way I see it, Dory is a really lost fish. I mean, she's just kind of like swimming at rapid speed through the ocean and literally just like bumps into this guy. Um, and she has nothing to do. You know, she she has never had the opportunity to prove her worth. You know, I get this, I get this sense that she is almost like embarrassed of her like memory issues and in a way she has this opportunity to prove that she's competent and she's taking it marlin's providing her with the opportunity you know and 
Um, you know, again, like we're having to dig really, really deep and that's not necessarily on the surface. I, I'll admit that, but I think there's enough evidence for us to draw that conclusion from Finding Nemo. Yeah, I mean, you're you're definitely not wrong. I think like this is definitely the hardest finals to decide. And it's interesting because it's fairly low seeds in our bracket. I'll go ahead and do it first then. I'm going... Marlon and Dory easily because just just because we are able to talk so in depth about this you know and like Timothy and Dumbo we're really having to like stretch to find enough evidence uh, to make a serious argument I, th- I think there's enough with Marlon and Dory so I'm locking it in I really want to support Timothy and Dumbo's relationship because I think that story and their friendship is such an important message for whatever reason, whether it's what Daphne brought up, which is introvert extrovert, or it's recognize like helping those who are, I don't want to say less fortunate, but helping those who maybe aren't fitting in. But, oh man, Chris, you like mm, the arguments that you made, I, I'm sitting here trying to re- rebuttal but I can't because we just don't have a lot from Dumbo and we don't get a lot of give in that relationship. We don't, I still stand strong that we don't get a lot from Dory. Even if you, you feel that way, but I just still don't think that we get a whole lot. But the fact that Dory teaches Marlon a lesson and Marlon allows Dory to be comfortable that duo relationship is just so strong. And I don't think that Timothy being the ultimate hype man and allowing Dumbo to fly and be confident necessarily tops what Dory and Marlon have. So, Chris, I'm with you. I'm here. I am crowning Marlon and Dory as the best Disney duo. Daphne, we've done it. We've crowned them. What are your thoughts? Yes, Nemo. I mean, excuse me, Marlon and Dory. All the way, the fact that we can, you you guys can talk about them like that for so long. And then, yeah, I think you brought up a good point too, Chris, that Dory does have something to gain from this journey because I was going to bring up the point that uh, this is like pure altruism like what does dory have to gain from this journey but yep nemo nemo and ah marlon and dory marlon and dory for sure <laughs> yeah all right like we always do every episode it's time to clap it out put your fins together put your lucky fins together dude i cannot believe this i cannot believe what we are learning here we've learned that finding nemo is like elite level pixar and like when i think of elite level pixar movies i don't really think of finding nemo for some reason i don't i don't know yeah it's interesting because i i think i do only because i remember being in theaters watching finding nemo and like my dad has no opinions on anything ever but i remember that movie got out and he was like that looked like they were underwater. Like the production value of Finding <laughs> yeah. Nemo is just like oh my god, incredible. Can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine if they like did that today? Like a Finding Nemo remaster? Right. 
So oh. like in what, 2004, that was, a f it was magic. And I just remember like, this is a special movie. So it does, and it resonated so deeply with everyone. And I think that us diving so far into who Marlon and who Dory are just is it's exemplary of what great characters to me I think you get the right amount of jumping between Marlon and Dory and Nemo in the tank you know like I've talked about this before how like a movie can get distracted um, and there's like there's just enough like the balance to me seems to be about 70 30 and I think that's appropriate just a Pixar masterpiece shoot all right, well, folks, that does it for our best Disney duos bracket. Thank you to Daphne for joining us these last two weeks. It's been a pleasure. And folks, you know where to reach us. You can send us a tweet at MouseMadnessPod, or you can send us an email at MouseMadnessPodcast.gmail.com. Connect with us on Discord. Join our Facebook community. We love hearing from you guys. We're always open for bracket suggestions. We're always looking for new co-hosts, new tiebreakers. So if you're interested, please reach out to us. We'd love to have you, especially during this time where everyone's looking for some new human connection, right? We'd love to hear from you. So until then, folks, just keep swimming. Just make sure you're swimming towards something. Like you, I do